Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, Leadership Matters. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in to Leadership Matters, informing leaders and inspiring solutions. I'm Gerald McFadden, President of Volunteers of America Southwest, and I bring you greetings from San Diego, California. I'll be your host for the next hour, and I'm delighted to have joining me today Dr. Ann McKenzie, Superintendent of Schools, Hadley, Massachusetts, Mr. Chris Tekel, Director, Charter School Operations, the City of San Bernardino Unified School District, and Ms. Doreen Maltz, School Superintendent of Ballington Academy for the Arts and Sciences. Welcome, Dr. McKenzie, Mr. Tekel, and Ms. Maltz. Thank you. Before we get started with the topic for today's show, which is educating the next generation of young scholars, I'd like to ask each of you, if you would, to please tell our listening audience just a little bit about yourself and the organization that you currently represent. And maybe I'll start with uh, you, Dr. McKenzie, and then we'll go from there. Certainly. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on the show today, Mr. McFadden. I really appreciate it. Uh, So I am a superintendent of a small, very small rural district in western Massachusetts. We have two school campuses, and we serve about 620, give or take, students in grades K through 12. That's the entire district. I have been a teacher. I've taught in elementary, middle, and high school. I've been a high school principal, a high school assistant principal, a special ed director. I've had various kinds of positions prior to coming to this position. And I really enjoy working in education. I've enjoyed every job that I've had. Every context provides unique challenges, and it's exciting to try to tackle those challenges. Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, Mr. Tickell, uh, you share a little bit about yourself, please. Sure. And once again, thank you, uh, Mr. McFadden, for the opportunity to be on the show. Um, I am Christopher Tickell. I'm the Director of Charter School Operations for the San Bernardino City Unified School District. I've been with the district for 26 years. I started as a classroom teacher, but all my experience has been elementary. I taught first, second, and fourth grades, as well as some special education assignments. I also then became a vice principal of an elementary school, and then I was a principal of two elementary schools for about approximately seven years. And then I got appointed as the director of charter school operations, and I oversee 13 authorized charters with an enrollment of about 4,000 students. And it's really a collaborative effort with the charter schools to provide the best services that we can for the students that that, uh, come to those schools in San Bernardino City. Absolutely love my job. Love the people I work with. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Oh, provide us with a, a, a very complimentary uh, opportunity to, to dialogue in terms of the, the various experiences in charter schools and in traditional public schools. And Ms. Maltz, if you'll share a little bit about yourself. Yes, good afternoon. I am so pleased to be part of this call. I'm uh, Doreen Maltz. I'm the Division Director of 
school superintendent for uh, Volunteers of America and our social and education um, development, uh, social and education division. Um, Volunteers of America um, is a very large national organization that works um, with with multiple um, services. Um, my specific division focuses on um, early education services as well as um, we operate a kindergarten through sixth grade charter school. Okay. Well, fantastic, fantastic. I invite each of you in our listening audience to participate in our upcoming exciting conversation by either emailing your questions to us at leadershipmattersquestions at innovisions.org or by calling in and speaking with us directly at 1-866-472-5790. I'd like to begin with uh, a little bit of uh, a, a, a setup of a question that I have, and uh, it is this. Transformational leadership has been defined as a change-oriented leadership style that is centered on partnership vision building that empowers others and results in inspiring collective goals, expectation ownership, and higher than normal performance levels. The question I have is, can uh, each of you talk a little bit about the concept of partnership vision building as it relates to being between policymakers, educators, and teachers, and how, if it is resulting in expectation ownership in classroom performance being higher than normal levels. Um, maybe I'll begin with this issue of partnership building, vision building, and the partnership between educators, teachers, uh, and policymakers. Um, Mr. Jaquel, you actually work for a school district. Uh, it has board members and uh, superintendents and a lot of stakeholders in the process. How have you seen uh, the partnership vision building uh, either result or not result in uh, expectation ownership between the various partners and higher than normal performance levels resulting uh, from students in the classroom? You know, you can actually see it not only happening in just how the people feel and work, but also in the results we're getting. Um, our school district has embarked on a community engagement plan, and under uh, an outstanding superintendent, Superintendent Dale Marsden, he brought in exactly what you were saying. He brought in the board members. He brought in members of the public. He brought in community leaders. He brought in parents. He brought in teachers, students. He brought in everyone, and everyone had the input in creating this vision of what do they expect from the city schools and really geared around a concept of from cradle to career. And through this, he's already the transformation results can be seen. Our high school graduation rate for the first time exceeded the county uh, graduation rate for the first time in decades. And we're actually only 1% behind the state average level. We still have room to grow and we still have things to do. But you can see those results because when you bring in the stakeholders and, and they have a say in creating that vision, 
then they walk away from the table more apt to make it happen. And I think oh, leadership is and you're actually, as you say, starting to realize some of the, the benefits of that, that process. Uh, Dr. McKenzie, what about yourself? Um, the partnership building, uh, vision building process between policymakers, educators, and teachers, and, and is that resulted in what you would see as ownership expectations around expectations? So, uh, similar to what, what Chris talked about, we've been very fortunate at the local level here. We see a tremendously high level of engagement in Hadley. And I would argue that that's probably not terribly unusual. That just like when you look at national polls about how people feel about education versus how they feel about their local schools, typically local schools rate very high. People like their local school system and very often are willing to partner from businesses, community stakeholders, local representatives and locally elected officials are very enthusiastic about partnering. We certainly see that here. Yet when you ask people that question nationally, what do you think about public education? I just noticed in Time Magazine, I think this last week, that the confidence level in public education is 31% in this country. Only Congress is falling below us at 8%. Mm. And so the question, you know, what happens there? And I think to your, this, this idea of, of partnerships and working together, I think at local levels, I certainly personally can attest to the fact that I've observed that here in the community in which I work. I've observed that in other communities in which I work. And I think the challenge then becomes how do we start looking at partnership vision building at, the, at, at a national level, right? I mean, we do have a sense of collective urgency around that, what, that education is important. We need to work together to make sure that we achieve equitable outcomes for all students. But how do we really start partnering together? We talk about, you know, on a national level, this issue of trying to uh, move the dialogue into action and moving it down through the local communities. Uh, We have today going on in New Hampshire an educational summit where uh, potential candidates uh, for the, the next highest office in the land are talking about education. Uh, how do you guys see the, the, that process of really having dialogue at the federal level, I mean, with, at, at the level where we have these elected officials trying to, to move into office and saying things that need to be said and actually being able to then convert those conversations into benefits at the local level? Have you seen it where it is a success that either from the federal level or the state level that it gets down to local districts and, and really does provide some benefit, either in terms of resource allocation or policies that can benefit local school districts? Well, I want to jump into that a little bit. I think on the state level, the formation of the LCAP funding process while it's a very complex and, and, and difficult, you know, as far as getting it started and going forward, um, it really has put down at the community level the funds and the resources where the community can come together and say, this is the resources we have and these are the priorities of where we're going to put those funding levels in the district area. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to go back on to what Ann was saying about the partnerships and making partnerships come into action. 
one of the, you know, the most impressive uh, actions that I've seen come out of our district in years was what's called the uh, San Bernardino Promise. And once again, in conjunction with Cal State San Bernardino and the city schools, any student who graduates from our district that meets the eligibility requirement gains automatic acceptance into Cal State San Bernardino. Wow. That's two organizations working together. That's moving policy right to the forefront and having, uh, putting, as you say, putting your your actions where your policies are in in a very effective manner. Um, Dr. McKenzie, do you have any thoughts about that as well? Ms. Maltz, do you have any thoughts about that? Really the, the ability to bring policymakers in terms of what they say and having their actions result in direct benefit to local school districts and uh, into the classroom. Anything different from what uh, Mr. Tickell was saying? Um, Mr. McFadden, this is just Ms. Smalls, and I, I would just piggyback on this whole concept in, in the state of California of uh, LCSS funding and the LCAP, really that process itself is meant to be a collaborative process at the um, local level. Um, speaking again about transformation leadership that talks about collective goals, identifying that shared vision, really through the LCAT process that, that allows local sc- schools to school districts all the way up to counties to the state to develop that, those shared visions and I, identify those specific needs and priorities um, and have buy-in into their own um, outcomes as well as divert resources, financial and economic resources to those areas to ensure um, success in, in the right. determined outcome. I have to ask you, as to hold the point for just a second, we're going to need to take a short break. When we return, Dr. McKenzie, Mr. Tickell, and Ms. Maltz will talk with us a little bit more about this issue of partnership vision building, but also we'll begin to uh, explore whether the focus and foundation of K-12 education is changing in the United States, and if, are the changes working? So we'll be right back. Please stay tuned with more Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders, and Inspiring Solutions. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need, exactly when you need it, so you can make the right decision every single time? 
Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. I'm Gerald McFadden, your host, and I bring you greetings from Volunteers of America in San Diego. My special guests today are Dr. Ann McKenzie, Superintendent of Schools of Hadley, Massachusetts, Mr. Christopher Tickell, Director, Charter School Operations for the City of San Bernardino Unified School District, and Ms. Doreen Maltz, School Superintendent of Downton Academy for the Arts and Sciences. We were talking about policy making and vision building and its impact working right into the classrooms and benefiting students. Uh, one of the questions I'd like to um, build into uh, the, the, the discussion is with regard to what appears to be a national and regional shortage of highly qualified teachers. What do you think is causing uh, the, the, sh- the, the shortage of teachers, and what do we need to do to kind of turn this situation around, given that schools, education at the core of it is great, highly qualified teachers? Um, what do you think we might be causing the shortage, and what do you think we might need to do to turn the situation around? Dr. McKenzie, I'm going to start with you. So some of the things that may be causing a shortage, and that's a, that's a, a complex question to answer. I, I would say one thing, and I've spoken with you a bit about this offline, Mr. McFadden, is I think it's important culturally to be careful of how we talk about how we talk about teachers and how we talk about the profession. I mentioned that recently a, a current candidate, GOP candidate, referred to national teachers unions as a single most destructive force in public education, indicating they deserved a punch in the face. Um, I don't see how that is a way to encourage people to enter a profession. I think that there are some countries that um, often were compared to these countries that, that appear to outperform us on international indicators, Finland being an example. And in these countries, it's far more competitive to get into teacher preparation, teacher training programs. So they look for the best and the brightest in the country. And, and w- they don't do what Amanda Ripley, the, the author of Smartest Kids in the World, they don't try to reverse engineer. So they don't try to do all this kind of value-added, high-dazzle professional development after the fact. They really focus on getting the most qualified and skilled people into the profession up front. 
So perhaps there are some things that we can learn from other countries in terms of teacher preparation programs and the expectations we place upon people entering those programs. That may be something. And I also think it is just critical that um, we, we talk about the profession in a way that would make people actually want to enter the profession. So when you speak about a pro profession and those in it in wildly pejorative terms, um, there's, there's, it seems obvious to me that it would be hard to attract people into that profession. Ms. Maltz, you have a responsibility for really trying to staff uh, a, a, a school in uh, a district that really is in the desert to a degree. And so one of the things that you've been challenged with is constantly attracting talented uh, professionals to really uh, be your education core. Uh, at your charter school. So what, what do you think are some of the things that are causing uh, teachers, uh, not, I mean, individuals not to go into the teaching profession? And, and what are some of the things that you're doing in association with Ballington Academy that might be trying to attract and retain teachers? Well, Mr. McFadden, um, we have actually um, just experienced um, some of the things that you were, were discussing just as we were through our recruitment process just this last, uh, for this last school year. Um, despite having a very aggressive campaign, um, advertising campaign that spanned Spanned over, you know, several geographic entities. We were we were in a situation where um, we were um, finding it difficult to attract um, highly qualified um, teachers for our instructional team here at Ballington Academy. Some of through our um, research, we did find that, that Ballington Academy was not the only school. Um, large districts, in fact, were also experiencing this. Um, looking at it, we really determined, you know, although LCSS has brought in a large number of resources, um, they have um, addressed, you know, class size um, Numbers, class size, numbers of class, number students and class sizes, and with that, um, through that reduction of numbers of students and classes, calls for uh, demand of additional teachers. Also, like we we kind of looked at, you know, over the last couple of years, um, there was not a large amount of hiring of teachers. So consequently, the universities and the education uh, programs did not um, really seek out or um, market the teaching profession to, to candidates. It, it, there was limited jobs, so it really wasn't a field that um, many people selected. Much like uh, Dr. McKenzie was talking about, it, it wasn't presented an, a, as a really um, favorable field to enter into, as well as recognizing that the, the, the age, there is an aging workforce within our own community um, of long-term teachers retiring. Um, so with those different elements and those different reasons, really this year we sought to think of very um, interim, short-term strategies to, to look at to ensure that we 
got highly qualified teachers in place in our classrooms. And one of those was actually partnering with our local county office of education, as well as our authorizing district, um, to come up with, with an interim strategy where we would use um, professional um, interns permits and short-term permits um, and work with the County Office of Education to support these teachers and, and moving forward and actually getting their, their next level of preliminary as well as their clear credential. It sounds as if we're, to a degree we're saying that basically the uh, attractiveness of the, uh, the field needs to be maybe remarketed and repositioned to create more opportunities and more attractiveness for folks going back into the teaching profession. Um, Mr. Takel and uh, the San Bernardino Unified uh, School District, how have you guys had to address the issue of teacher shortage and what are you doing specifically to, to to retain highly qualified teachers. Oh, have you experienced this in San Bernardino? Um, we are starting to experience that. Um, you know, the Great Recession had a huge impact on the teaching field in the sense that, you know, for the first time ever, we were laying teachers off. And it wasn't just in this district, it was throughout the state. And so not only, as Doreen said, were less students entering into the field of education, but you had a lot of young teachers who left the field because after you've been laid off one or two times, you, it really is a dissuasion. And I think that if you really want to go back to um, how we're going to make the field attractive and, and make it um, something that people want to go into is exactly through what you said, that transformational leadership. By empowering the classroom teacher and giving them the opportunities to, to explore and take risks and, and take chances in different areas to, you know, use their own creativity and use their own um, critical thinking skills to empower their own students. Um, mm -hmm. I think that for years and years and years with the standards-based testing, the literacy programs in elementary and everything else was very scripted. And mm -hmm. teachers were taught lockstep, you stay with the script, stay with the script. This, is, this script will prepare the kids so that they can take the standardized test and then the test scores go up. Well, when you start robbing people of creativity, then it means their work is less meaningful to them. And that's what dissuades people. If, they, if someone feels that the work they're doing is meaningful and they're engaged in their work environment, they're not going to go. And it has nothing to do with salaries. I mean, salaries are important that we make sure that we're keeping competitive, but it's also making sure that the teachers realize that we treat them and respect them as professionals. You know, that is really interesting uh, that you mentioned the whole notion of ownership and also creativity that uh, allows for self-expression and the opportunity to have meaningful work uh, done by, by teachers. Um, today there appears to be a significant uh, dialogue and difference of opinion nationally and, and regionally with regard to the issue focused on the Common Core. Your thoughts with regard to the pros and cons of, of Common Core and um, 
Well, I took a quick look at the uh, one of the priorities that was mentioned in this New Hampshire summit uh, with uh, presidential hopefuls, and one of the things that they talked about was, you know, uh, reversing uh, Common Core. Uh, so, so I'd like to get your thoughts in terms of uh, pros and cons of com- Common Core, if you would. Mr. Tickell, would you start off with that, please? Well, I think that, you know, Common Core was an attempt, and once again, whether pros or cons or not, our standards need to reflect what we're teaching in the school, schools needs to reflect with the workforce requirements of the future. If we're preparing students and they're coming into the workforce lacking the skills and the abilities to um, be able to complete and, and actually have jobs, then we're not doing our job regardless of what standards we're doing. And again and again, we have acknowledged that there's a lack of those soft skills. Our students are entering into the workforce lacking the communication the creativity, the critical thinking, and the ability to collaborate. And those, those, if you look at the Common Core standards, those things are embedded throughout. In fact, I think it was 42% of all potential uh, employers say this, those skills lacking prevent most of our students from obtaining jobs. And if we don't up our standards to, to allow our students to compete, we're only going to fall further and further behind in the global market. And it's not even just the global market. Right now, mm-hmm. currently, according mm-hmm. to the Department Dr. of Defense... Dr. McKenzie, what are your thoughts about the, uh, the Common Core standards uh, in terms of the pros and cons of them as a kind of a benchmarking? I, I think, unfortunately, there's a tremendous amount of misinformation about the Common Core. I think that the Common Core is representative of the vision that a nation at risk originally espoused and that people far too often mistake a a national movement for federal intervention. So I would argue that the Common Core is representative of of a national concern for, just as Chris had said, for ensuring that all students are college and career ready. It's about having really high standards. Um, But it's a state-led initiative. There's nothing, the Common Core is not something that's a national set of standards that every state must adopt. States have had ample opportunity to exercise autonomy over how and the extent to which they will or will not implement the Common Core. So I, I, think, I think it's a, a kind of, is a logical progression and, and a positive one in terms of some of what came out of a nation at risk. And now we are firmly in a culture in which we expect, we demand that all children learn well and at high levels. They have high levels of educational achievement and attainment. That is wildly I'm different. Gonna, Dr. McKenzie, I'm going to have to interrupt yep, you for sorry. just a second. We are going to need to take a short break. Sure. Uh, and I'm really excited about this level of dialogue that we're having now about a, a topic that I think is central to a lot of parents and, and educators. 
Uh, when we return with our special guest, Dr. McKenzie, Mr. Tickell, and Ms. Maltz, we'll talk more about this issue of uh, Common Core and standards and demands of the marketplace. And also we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, what does testing and measuring academic performance of students really tell us? And, and is it really predicting success for our, our students? So what I'd like for you to do is please stay tuned. We'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders, and Inspiring solution. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. For women, the pressure to achieve is stronger, the work hours longer, and the struggle for respect and authority more complex than ever. You want guidance on how to succeed, and you are not alone. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern for our special series, Game Changing Women. Powerful women leaders will help you make sense of it all, analyze how you can change the game, and share their playbooks. Game Changing Women, presented by SAP on the Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. I'm Gerald McFadden, your host, and I bring you greetings from Volunteers of America Southwest in San Diego, California. For those of you who may just have joined our show, uh, our special guests today are Dr. Ann McKenzie, Superintendent of Schools at Hadley, Massachusetts, Mr. Christopher Tickell, Director of Charter School Operations at San Bernardino City Unified School District, and Ms. Doreen Moult. Uh, superintendent of Ballington Academy for the Arts and Sciences. Prior to the break, we were talking a little bit about the pros and cons of uh, Common Core and some of the, the hidden elements and misunderstandings about Common Core. And Chris, you had some interesting uh, comments during the break in regards to really some of the things that are embedded and kind of build on your conversation there in terms of some of those important soft skills? Yes. I was uh, 
sharing with the data that uh, 71% currently of our 17 to 24-year-olds cannot enroll into the United States military simply because of either physical problems, you know, obesity, uh, and even, you know, things such as tattoos and multiple piercings, as well as lacking skills. And what's really important to realize is, is that the soft skills that I was talking about, the communication skills, the thinking, critical thinking skills, the creativity, the collaboration that is currently lacking in our education system is embedded in those common core standards. And that's why the common core standards were developed. It was, as Ann said, to make sure that all students learn well and that they can learn and adapt to skills so that they can enter into the workforce. Yes. Because from my yes. perspective, a high school dropout is sentencing a young, a young adult to a less than acceptable standard of living for the rest of their lives. Right. So there, there are a lot of elements of a miscommunication that may be contributing to the confusion around Common Core, but there are truly some underlying benefits with regard to Common Core that may have long-term productive benefits for our, for our students as they enter into the marketplace. I wanted to ask you a question because it came out. We're talking about policies and standards, standardization uh, with regard to Common Core, but has there been a philosophical change uh, in the United States in recent years that have really altered some of the underpinnings about foundation, about how best to approach education for K through 12 students, and what are some of these changes that are being put in place as to how best to educate this young population of students? Um, with regard to that, uh, Dr. McKenzie, do you, you want to take that particular question right now? Sure. I think that one of the some of the policies that policies that have ensued. As uh, from a nation at risk, and even before that, from the Elementary Secondary Education Act, so well before that, I think that we're seeing the fruits of, of those policies. And for me, the, the biggest, the greatest positive is that we no longer assume that individual students or groups of students are not learning as well as other groups because they're simply just not showing up as well. There must be something wrong with them. Instead, we're looking at the system and saying, is, does everybody have equitable, equitable access to a high-quality, rigorous educational experience? And so we certainly have seen positive effects from a number of policies. We see that students who performed very, very poorly on things like national assessment of educational pro, uh, progress, groups of students, We've seen performance levels for groups of students, economically disadvantaged students, some groups of minority students, have increased dramatically over the past few decades. We still have an achievement gap problem in this country um, because everybody is performing better. But we're paying very, very close to t attention to that. That's really important. And I have to say one thing this country does extraordinarily well. I personally have had the benefit of doing a Fulbright exchange where I was exchanged with a, a high school administrator in Finland. I've traveled in other countries and talked to teachers, and, and one thing I know that we do really well is we are committed to educating everybody, students with disabilities, students with significant disabilities, students who are economically disadvantaged. We are now accountable for educating everyone well. 
that is incredibly powerful. That's why I was so blown away when I saw only 31% of people nationally have confidence in public education. I challenge anybody, find me another country in the world that is as committed to outcomes as we are. I mean, that we do, we, we're, we're striving toward it. We have a long way to go, but my gosh, do we care about that. You know, one of the things I'd like to build on, uh, Dr. McKenzie, is a conversation you and I had about this very same issue of the United States has a commitment to educating all children. You know, one published survey after another indicates that overall students in the United States continue to rank lower in areas of mathematics, science, and reading when compared to our international counterparts. And you had some interesting thoughts in terms of, uh, one, those survey results and kind of why some of that uh, is the case uh, in terms of the positioning of the United States in relationship to international counterparts. Would you, you like to speak to that issue? Sure, quickly. I would encourage readers to look up a 2013 report that came out of Stanford Graduate School of Education and the Economic Policy Institute, and it kind of takes a look at why do we have this poor ranking on international tests and how it can be misleading. Because one of the things that happens is that um, once you once you start once you start looking at the population and you account for who's being tested and you account for demographics. So if we start looking at the social class characteristics of the students who are being tested and we control for that, the United States starts doing a lot better. So. If you, if you took our social class composition and made it similar to top-ranking nations, U.S. rankings on pizza, we'd start, we'd move from, from 14 to 6, we'd, we'd move significantly. And so that report, I encourage people to look at that report. What do international tests really show about U.S. student performance? And it's from the Stanford Graduate School of Education. And it talks a lot about once you start controlling for these things, you see dramatically different results. It doesn't mean we're off the hook, but you see different results. And it also points out that achievement of disadvantaged students in the United States has been rising rapidly, right? And, and far more so to the countries to which we are frequently unfavorably compared, where the performance of students who are disadvantaged has actually been falling rapidly. So, so what again, I hear you saying is that really well. there's not a level playing field when we see these published results. Uh, you're not comparing apples to apples in no. terms of really what the scoring really means. No, and that again does not, I'm not, it, it never lets us off the hook, but I, I think this country does a remarkable job in its policies of really paying close attention to asking constantly, and every administrator on this call I think could, could speak to this, that we are held accountable every single time. We may be able to give a million good reasons as, or a million obstacles that are in a child's path, and federal policymakers don't care. <laughs> they, they want everybody to learn well. I hear that. Uh, one of the things I'd like to ask uh, you, you in, in this is because, again, these surveys uh, wind up being based on test results, and one of the questions that comes up a lot in the debates is, you know, uh, what does testing uh, measure in terms of academic performance of students, and are we testing too much in schools today? Uh, Ms. Malta, I'd like for you to, to start us off with that. You know, are we testing too much in schools today? 
say is, and what do test results really tell us in terms of a student uh, predicting student success? Well, uh, Mr. McFadden, I think uh, we first need to understand whenever we're administering a test, I think we need to understand really the purpose of that test. Um, and once we really understand the purpose of that test and what that test is trying to, um, what information that test is trying to tell us, then we need to really devise an appropriate test um, to measure what we want to measure. I mean, there was a lot of discussion on, on Common Core um, and the shift um, and the need for um, developing um, these Soft skills is collaboration, creativity, critical thinking, cooperation skills among our students. Employers are sharing with us. This is what they will want in the future. And, and I would um, reflect back and say, if those are the qualities that were the skills that we are trying to develop within students, how should we go about, about measuring those? Um, other and and are we what type of test are we using to measure those? Um, it's important that testing gives us reliable, timely feedback, so so ultimately we can use it to, to guide our strategies, to guide our instructions, um, and and ultimately um, impact student learning and and opportunities for success in the classroom. Uh -huh. At this point. Mr. Dekel, in terms of right in the on school district that you are uh, represented of, which is quite a large uh, a city school district uh, with San Bernardino Unified School District, you know, are, are we, what are your thoughts? Are we testing too much? And, and really, does the test results really uh, serve as a good predictor for student success from your point of view? Well, you know, and I, I want to really, what Doreen said really hit, you know, the nail right on top of the head. It's the type of assessment. We do a lot of summative. I feel we do too much summative testing, which is at the end of the year. You're testing the students, and, and, that, just, and that gives you results. But the thing about it is, is we don't do enough formative testing and formative mm -hmm. assessments. And that's where teachers are creating assessments as they teach skills they have assessments developed that then they can look, administer the assessment and see how well did my students learn. Mm -hmm. And once again, the focus should be on did the students learn it as opposed to I presented the material. Mm -hmm. And based mm -hmm. upon your Educating assessment, you go back and reteach. through process to make sure that not only did you impart it, but that it was processed and there was some benefit derived from what you imparted. Uh, as a, as uh, instructional material, excellent, uh, Dr. McKenzie. What are your thoughts on that? Are we testing too much, and, and are the tests telling us uh, uh, the 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 likelihood of student success uh, in the future? I, I think that the other guests did a remarkable job of commenting on the kinds of things we need to consider when we're looking at assessment from a purely pedagogical perspective from a school perspective and then from a larger perspective because very often uh, a lot of assessment is driven by accountability, accountability policies or the assessments that, that we find most onerous are often the function of an accountability policy. I think it's important not only to think of assessment in terms of providing students an opportunity to demonstrate what they've learned or what they know, but I think the piece that's missing is we don't ask students often enough, if at all, how will you use what you know? 
I often say that what we know is an indication of our intellect and how we use what we know in service to our local communities, to our countries, and to, into the world is an indicator of wisdom. And we don't provide students ample opportunity to not only demonstrate to us the skills and knowledge that they've acquired, but actually to provide them with a chance to show us how they might use those skills and that knowledge to contribute to their local community and to society at large, to make their mark in the world. I, I'd like to hold on to that because I think that that is a tremendously powerful point, and we're going to need to take a, a short break. Uh, when we return, uh, our guests uh, will be talking with us about uh, this issue of testing and whether it is producing results that really are, are making a difference in terms of instructional strategies, and we'll also be talking about what are some of the biggest challenges facing our educational system for K-12 through students. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, informing leaders and inspiring solutions. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. Hello, I'm Gerald McFadden, your host, and I bring you readings from Volunteers of America Southwest in San Diego, California. For those of you who may have just joined our conversation, our special guest today, Dr. Ann McKenzie, Superintendent of School at Hadley, Massachusetts, Mr. Christopher Tickell, Director, 
charter school operations for the city of San Bernardino Unified School District, and Ms. Doreen Maltz, a school superintendent of Barrington Academy for the Arts and Sciences. As we were in our uh, previous section, one of the discussions that we really were pursuing was this issue of testing and the benefits of testing, whether we do it too much, and is there really results occurring from the benefit of testing and assessment. One of the thoughts that uh, is currently in, in, in the um, discussion stage at this pre present time is really this concept of high-stakes testing, and that is having teacher and administrator evaluations tied to student test results. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on the pros and cons of this concept of high-stake testing and tying uh, student performance to uh, evaluation of administrators and, and uh, teachers. And Ms. Malta, I'd like for you to, to maybe start off on that, what your thoughts are in that regard. Thank you, Mr. McFadden. Well, this, this is definitely um, a, a very um, prominent issue, especially as Dr. McKenzie and Mr. Tickell has referenced. You know, a lot of these state tests do become accountability measures for what but what we are evaluated. You know, Ballington Academy is, is, is a charter school, um, and through our charter school development, we commit to achieving certain goals, and, and part of how we are evaluated are through these, so to speak, high-stake tests. Um, it becomes a little bit challenging when um, you try to utilize uh, these tests to evaluate teachers and um, administrators um, at the local level um, due, due to a various factors, you know, really, um, there, there are concerns that would say uh, that these tests are not a clear representation of, of my performance, of, of my work in the classroom, um, and how, are, how, how do these tests truly evaluate, again, as we spoke earlier, you know, the purpose of the test and, and really is it measuring what um, the purpose of education um, ha has, um, is, is um, which is ultimately student learning. So can the, are these one tests measuring appropriately, accurately student learning and then driving that back to would, would they be able to evaluate and um, measure teacher performance as well as administrator performance? Mr. Tickell, what are your thoughts about that, this concept of high-stake testing and tying student uh, test results to evaluations of administrators and teachers? Well, um, it's a very complex issue. I mean, but sometimes to me it simplifies things too much and and what I I look at is is at that school site or within that district has do, does the teacher classroom teacher have access to the curriculum that's aligned to what's being tested that's that's critical has the teacher been trained to um, 
in that curriculum and how that curriculum is administered. And the third thing is, is as the administrator and as the principal, am I walking through that classroom on a day-to-day basis, observing that teacher, not from an evaluative point, but from a professional development, and providing feedback to that teacher so that they can become, raise their expertise. Um, to me, just to use test scores as a default, one, it, it simplifies the job as an, as an administrator. I can just simply tell the teacher, oh, you're not meeting standards because of test scores, so I'm going to you know, punish you versus really looking at all the underlying aspects of that test. Most teachers that I have spoken to, it's not the end-of-the-year test. If they say, if you want to test my students, then administer a test at the beginning of the year and then a test at the end of the year and see if I was effective in raising their scores from the beginning to the end. So I think one of the critical concepts to keep in mind is this idea of validity. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people who think, describe tests as being valid or invalid. And that's just simply a, a psychometric error. Uh, a test is not valid or invalid. It's, its validity is determined by what we're using it for. So, for example, our statewide assessment system here, MCAS, is an assessment measure that's designed to give us information about how individual students perform relative to standards. It is not uh-huh. a system that was designed yeah. to evaluate educator performance. This is really important. It seems basic. But you wouldn't say a thermometer is invalid. But if you took my temperature to figure out how much I weigh, that's an invalid use of that metric. It's not going to Absolutely. give you the information you're looking for. I will say policy-wise, our, the state of Massachusetts, I believe, really, the Commonwealth, has really gotten it right in terms of it, it, using standardized te- test scores. They're, they're not tightly linked to educator evaluation, and they also have adopted a value-added model, a student growth percentile, but even that, that is tricky. Uh, I'm going to have to kind of let this be our last word. This issue of testing and results and tying it to accountability and performance is a very huge and complex issue, sometimes oversimplified is what I hear you guys saying. I I, I want to thank you, Dr. McKenzie, uh, Mr. Tekel, and Ms. Maltz for being my guests on today's show, and thank you, our listening audience, for tuning in. Uh, Please join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders and Inspiring Solutions. And until next time, this is Gerald McFadden with Volunteers of America Southwest uh, and reminding you that great leadership really does matter. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you again for tuning in. Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter. Matter.